Hello everyone and welcome back. Welcome to the second season of The Importance of Being Feminist. Today is our first episode and we're publishing it a year after we released the first season of the podcast. And I mean, so much has happened in the meantime. Unfortunately, as we all know, it's not all been good, uh, but today we're going to focus on the positives of 2021. More specifically, we're going to talk about what YWC Scotland has been up to in the past year and what exciting things are coming up in 2022. To do so, we'll chat again with our CEO, Patrizia, and she will walk us through all the projects and news that have kept her very busy in 2021. Hi Patrizia, welcome to the podcast and how are you today? Oh, I'm good, I'm good. It's a horrible day in Edinburgh to be honest, like it's raining, it's windy, uh, but yeah, spring is in the air so I feel I feel happy. Oh, I feel you. I'm really looking forward to either some sun or less cold I guess. Um, spring is such a lovely season so I'm really looking forward to it. For the first episode of our second season, I'm quite interested in looking back at what YWC Scotland has done in the past year. So um, I remember that in our previous chat, we talked a lot about what you were doing, about the status of young women in Scotland. But since then, I mean, the organization has expanded and has changed quite a lot as well. Um, So looking back at 2021, how do you feel about it? Oh, uh, like it was such a roller coaster of a year, I think, for our organization, like many other organizations in the sector. Like, obviously, we have the pandemic uh, and we're still kind of working in the context of pandemic and going out and into various lockdowns. So kind of restarting face to face then having to stop face to face, then moving to online. Um, and obviously the impact that it had on staff. So that still kind of remained the same from like the last time that that we uh, had a chat uh, last year, but also like some massive, massive changes for our organization. Um, so for those of you who have not kind of followed us for a very long time, um, we used to be merged with, with a larger charity called White People. Um, so we merged with them in 2016. And it was basically uh, like support for our organization at that time, which was kind of really uh, challenging financial climate. Our organization needed extra support and they kind of gave us a lifeline um, and enabled us to continue as an organization. But this year, we or last year in 2021, we made the decision that we are strong enough to, to become independent again and stand on our own two feet. It was scary like doing something like that you know in the context of pandemic and all the kind of you know global and financial insecurities that came with that you know we're uh, all kind of expecting another kind of financial crash and recession and everything that that comes with that um, but it felt like a right decision for our organization in terms of uh, you know, we are a relatively small charity we work in a very non-corporate way and we like to be, really bold and radical in our approach and we really wanted to live like in accordance with our feminist values and we felt like it was the right choice for us to to become independent again so it was a big gamble in a way 
um, because it certainly could have threatened our stability and sustainability. And anyone who works at kind of senior management level and third sector, like you always have to worry about the funding cycle and where the money is coming from and whether you will be able to retain your services, expand your services. So it's a constant struggle. Um, so it was like removing that sort of additional level of support was scary, uh, but it really paid off. Like we, within like six months of, of becoming independent, we have secured more funding uh, that we have had in like at least last 10 years. So kind of like staying really true to our values uh, and being quite bold in our actions uh, really paid off for our organization. Um, and that's the reason why we were able to expand as well. Uh, so uh, Last year, we have recruited four new members of staff. So we have Rihanna, who is our research and impact manager. So our kind of research side of work has grown hugely from like status of young women in Scotland and young women leads uh, research reports and recommendations to like consultancy that we are now doing with other third sector organizations. And it's definitely like an area that we want to expand into and we are thinking of launching our own think tank and just being like kind of go to research organization working with young women so kind of very exciting developments we also have Kate who is our business development manager so I finally have some support with with funding and uh, and securing that kind of long-term uh, long-term stability for the organization which is absolutely brilliant like feeling you know I have someone's like bounce of ideas uh, with and just uh, someone who's really passionate about our organization and then our national team that you know through Young Women Lead Program uh, yourself has expanded from one woman operation to a team of three. Um, so we now have Elena who's leading this team. And then we have Lori and Amanda uh, who are uh, a national programs coordinator and national programs assistant. And just this week we had Ivy, uh, a new comms assistant starting with the team. So like a huge expansion for us, like we nearly doubled in size. Um, so that was really exciting sort of, and it's, yeah, and it's really showed us that, you know, sometimes taking those like risky decisions, if they feel right for the organization, like they can really pay off. Uh, and I'm really happy that we stayed true to our values and took some risks. And then because of that, we were also able to move to four day week. So as an organization, we were able to make a transition that I was so passionate about, like I've been talking about four day weeks since I started with this organization. Like I feel that's the future of work. Like that's the way, uh, you know, kind of centering work on, on well-being, especially in the sector that is so known for burnout. It's it's critical. Yeah. And um, just to make it clear, what do you mean by four day week? Because I know that some countries and some companies have adopted it, but in the sense that they let you kind of cram all of your hours in four days rather than actually reducing your working hours. Is that the same for YWCA Scotland? No, no. So we, so I used to work like that. So when I came back from my maternity leave, uh, I knew that I needed that extra day with my daughter. She was just four months old when I came back. So I knew that I couldn't go back to only seeing her two days a week, essentially. So I did what is called compressed hours. So that's essentially what you've been talking about, kind of cramming all my full-time hours into four days. Uh, so I was working 10 hour long days. Um, and while that was really tough, like the benefit of that extra, like that one extra day 
was still worth it, but that's not a real four day week. Like that's just compressed hours. That's um, a kind of flexible work approach. Uh, what we mean by four day week is reducing everyone's hours to 28 hours uh, while retaining full pay and full benefits. So no one is kind of losing out on anything. No one is losing out on annual leave. You know, we're not cutting anyone's pay and by, by a quarter. Uh, this is, you know, and no one has to work like super long hours. It's essentially, we're just dropping one day a week that normally we would be working. Uh, and that was really important for us. And I think there is like a lot of kind of vagueness around companies that sometimes adopt it, that sometimes it's four day week, but it's not really a four day week if you're still working full-time hours because the benefits of four day week really come from having that sort of space and time to center on yourself a little bit more, like manage your work-life balance to have that extra day. And that's not achievable if you're squeezing in 40 hours into four days, because then on that fifth day, you're just, you know, barely walking, you're exhausted. And that's, you know, that's not the ethos um, behind four day week. And how have you found it so far? Has it been working? Have you seen a difference in your staff at all? Yeah, definitely. So we just recently did um, like a six months evaluation and it was like anonymous evaluation with members of staff just to, just to see how people are feeling like do they feel like it's a better work-life balance like what the main benefits are uh, and you can kind of find a summary of that uh, on our blog and it's yeah it's overwhelmingly positive like I feel we all have realized that you know we are just more focused we are better at prioritizing we are much better at supporting each other as well, knowing that we are actually working for the week and things need to be done in those four days without overwhelming people. So like our motto for this year is like no to overwhelm. Like we don't want to get into that position of, you know, just feeling like things are piling up. And of course, like in a sector that is so underfunded and so understaffed, like these are things that, you know, that we are all noticing. But I think that extra day of a break like means that you're just fully recharged. Like when you come back on Monday, even if it was a tough week, even if it was extremely busy, like that one extra day just makes like all the difference that you feel like, oh, yeah, I've recharged my batteries. Like I am ready for the next, for the next week, even if it's going to be quite hectic. And I think like it just made such a difference to people's well-being, mental health, just, you know, feeling like you have that space to pick up your hobbies again, to spend more time with your family or to do like, you know, like life admin things on your extra day and feel like you're staying on top of that. I think, yeah, it's certainly something that we would never go back to uh, working a five day week. Like we will evaluate it again at 12 months mark just to see if there are like any learnings for us, anything that, that we can improve. But yeah, from my perspective, like I, I feel I see more collaboration across team. I see more support with different for different team members. And it just yeah, brought us like much closer together. And I think also from like a staff member perspective, like knowing that the organization values you so much that and values your well-being so much that you know they're willing to cut your hours by a quarter, by 20% on a full pay. It was something that, you know, after the pandemic and after how hard everyone on our team worked in the last two years, like, you know, in the middle of a global pandemic, like people were losing loved ones, like people 
couldn't see their families for months and months. Like all of us were dealing with like so much struggle, like personally and also like in our communities and, and nationally and globally. And like our stuff like still showed up for the people that we were supporting and they were still there for them, like anytime they needed them. And I think like recognizing that and recognizing how much we have put into this organization in the last couple of years and sort of honoring that and rewarding that by this move, which was overwhelmingly supported by all staff members. We've done loads of consultations just to make sure that, you know, people are definitely happy with this move. And it's been, yeah, it's been extremely exciting. And and I, I'm so happy like seeing that more organizations are thinking about it, adapting to this way of working. I literally get emails into my inbox every week from other organizations being like, how are you doing this? Like, could you send us some evaluation? Like, how could we implement this? Do you have five minutes for a quick phone call? We really want to convince our board of trustees that this is the way forward, but we need more information. And it's been, been great, like being an organization that is able, able to champion um, this new way of working. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, so these emails, these inquiries, do they come mostly from other charities or um, regular companies? Yeah, so a, a lot of them come from charities, because uh, I think that's the sector that we are the most recognized in. Um, but yeah, also from like smaller corporate uh, organizations as well. And a lot of kind of practical questions, like, you know, how do you manage annual leave? Like, how do you manage benefits? Uh, what do you do with like part-time workers? Like if you make that transition, you know, do they stay working part-time? Do you also like cut their hours? Like a lot of sort of practical questions that we had to also consider at that point of transition just to make sure that it is fair across the board that everyone is getting the same benefits and that no one feels like they're losing something by by this transition and it's yeah and kind of monitoring work stress and pressures like I think it will be a huge part of our evaluation in the next six months just making sure that this is actually not creating additional pressure which of course working less hours could but as I said like I feel we're just more focused more better at prioritizing and better at supporting each other like I think the team is really good at being like okay the national team has a lot on their plates this week like who from the other teams could support them this week like who can do like extra facilitation who can read over this funding bids uh, who can check this budget like who can provide that extra support because we are like, yeah, it just brought us much closer together, I think, as a team, which is like unexpected and a nice sort of added benefit of, of this way of working. That's nice. And I was actually curious about that because, of course, as you were saying, if you're working fewer hours, there is that risk or, you know, there's that unknown of whether you will be maybe, I don't know, more anxious about doing all the tasks you need to do, but in a limited time. So has the shift to the four day week brought any challenges? or was it kind of smooth? I would say it was quite smooth, but we certainly had to become like better at like sharing what we are working on across the team. So we're like working on different ways of like presenting our work plans and kind of for everyone on the team, like having an overview of like what everyone else is working on just to see like where is good times for collaboration, where is good time that we need to support other people. Like just having... Uh, more kind of transparency across the organization and having an understanding of like pressures that people might be under to be able to provide that support. Like I think that 
was like the biggest point of transition that we now know that our time is extremely precious uh, and we are much better, I feel as well, at, you know, not having meetings that could have been an email, like, which is, you know, we're all guilty of that, especially uh, with like a transition to, you know, online working um, that sometimes it feels that it's like easier to send uh, a Zoom link or Teams link. And then it turns into like our and a half long conversation while your time is quite limited uh, and it could have been an email and we are much like I feel better at prioritizing things that are most important so I think you know working in a small charity with limited resources but also everyone who works for us is extremely passionate about everything that we are doing right no one ends up in this sector because of money or fame or you know like everyone is here because of passion and then it's really easy to say yes to everything because you're like okay, yeah we could work on this project and we could also do this and we could also do that and I think we are becoming much better as a team and I hope that I'm becoming better as a leader of being like no this is the opportunity that we should walk away from and it's, it is challenging and like it's been challenging for us like there were certainly times when the team had to call me out and being like no like we cannot take on another opportunity or I would have to do that for someone else and be like what we are doing right now is enough. Like we also need to protect like our re limited resources at times. And it's hard because like we all lead from passion and we all lead from wanting to reach as many people as we can through our activity. So it, it is a learning process. It's like, and I think it, it's been quite challenging in the last like six months. And I think we're still learning on like how sometimes to say no, to be able to provide better support to people that we are already supporting. And it's also that idea of, you know, putting like an air mask on yourself first, you know, what they tell you when you're like an emergency on a plane, like look after yourself first before you can help other people. And I think we are a sector and myself very much included in that, that we sometimes forget about that. And sometimes we give and give and give and give until we have nothing left. And I think it, it is a very important lesson for us that that our well-being is equally as important and we can only support other people really really well if we you know give ourselves that sort of grace and kindness first so so yeah still like very much like a yeah like a learning sort of curve for us like a steep learning curve for us but I think we've learned so much about the way we work and the way that we want to work in those like last six months since we made this transition and you've been doing so much as well because so you've expanded some of your programs and you have added new ones um could you explain what are what we scotland's main programs at the moment both on a national and local level yeah so we uh, sort of like operate from like a national perspective so we have programs that uh, happen across scotland so our one of those like flagship programs is young women leads uh, which started as a program we've run in the partnership with Scottish Parliament. And it's like the, the goal of this program is really sort of improving political engagement and giving young women like a seat at the table where political decisions are being made. Uh, and for young women to have like direct, direct like pathways into like influencing policy uh, at the national, but also at the kind of more community-based level. So we adapted this program to be delivered in partnership with local authorities. 
with an ambition that, you know, in 10 years time, there would have been like a young woman lead cohorts in every local authority in Scotland. And that was decision, like the program was great when it was working nationally and it was, you know, a phenomenal program when we ran it in partnership with the Scottish Parliament. But of course it meant that it was very central belt focused, like a lot of activity is, and we really, really wanted to take uh, young women leads to like local authorities and to young women who might not have been able to participate because of everything happening in Edinburgh or Glasgow. And because we were able to expand our national team and because we secured more funding for this program, uh, we are now delivering it three times every year. So like three every year we'll do three different local authorities. So the program is currently running in Dundee and then we are recruiting for Inverclyde and then I think it's going to Angus. And yeah, basically the ambition is that it will end up in every local authority in Scotland. And what the program does is really it's giving young women on this program an opportunity to do research and an issue that is affecting their local community and then provide counsel with a set of recommendations on how to challenge that particular issue. Then we also, through our national team, uh, we have a program and I'll butcher its name. So if you're from Dundee and you're listening to this, like, please bear with me. Like, I'm not Scottish, as you can probably hear from my accent, but it's called Ur Fierce Girls. Um, and it's a program that we run in partnership with NSPCC Scotland, and we pilot it in partnership with Dundee City Council. And it's a young woman-led program that it's looking at healthy relationships and consent. And we are taking it to two different local authorities with the view of kind of launching a national resource and toolkits um, that will support conversations around healthy relationships and peer-to-peer sexual abuse and, and consent. Uh, so very excited about this one. And it was also featured on the Guilty Feminist podcast. So our uh, small claim to fame, like I, I'm not sure if I should be mentioning another podcast on our podcast, but that's been really uh, well received. And it's a phenomenal, phenomenal group of young women who are working on this program. Then we also have Scott Women's Skills, which is our employability support program, which is very much focused on like building resilience, building networks, and this kind of recognizing how difficult and like soul destroying job seeking is especially in the current climate so it's like creating that sort of network for young women who are going through that with some like practical support practical advice but also you know being with a group of peers who are going through similar experiences because uh, it can be job seeking I feel can be very lonely and like has a huge impact on your confidence so we have this program as well uh, and then we of course have all of our digital activity all of our campaigns all of our digital bro- work um, our Scottish feminist blogger network our blog then we have status of young women in Scotland and um, which is one of the biggest sort of action research of this kind in Scotland. So very excited about that one. Then we have like smaller research projects that we run in partnerships with other organizations, currently working with Scottish Women's Aid uh, on a a project around kind of young women's perception of uh, women's aid services and, and healthy relationships. We are doing a similar project with Edinburgh Rape Crisis and East Lothian Women's Aid And then we are also working with Kairos on a research project that they are developing. So like that research side, as I said, expanding hugely. And then, and then we have our Glasgow center, which does amazing kind of grassroots community-based work. Uh, So we have a physical space uh, where women 
could come into uh, fingers crossed with like all the restrictions like they will remain so uh, so we do like a blended sort of delivery a little bit face to face a little bit online uh, as we are still kind of navigating the uncertainties of the pandemic um, and these programs are open to women of all ages so it's all about kind of intergenerational work and it's working with women who are often overcoming like really complex challenges in their lives uh, we work a lot with refugees asylum seekers um, survivors of domestic abuse women who are kind of at the point of often like rebuilding their lives and we are creating that support network for them that sort of confidence boosting like the classes are all around kind of empowerment um, and like welcoming women that are new to Glasgow to the amazing Glaswegian community and making sure that they feel like really embedded in this new community. Um, so we have a program called Empowering Pathways for Women, which is all about kind of building confidence and leadership skills. We run ESOL classes, we run ICT classes, uh, we have partnership with Glasgow colleges, so for women who want to go into further education, uh, supporting them to get qualifications, supporting them with volunteering opportunities, and just, yeah, providing this, like, really lovely, safe space that you can just drop in anytime, you know, grab a cup of tea or coffee and, like, connect with, with other people in your local community, so it's really important for us to, like, retain this as a physical space and then in Glasgow we also run our Y equality program which is for P6 P6 and P7 boys and girls so it's a program that it's, it's centered on like gender inequalities and challenging gender inequalities at a very early age and it's both for boys and girls so some of the modules they do in separate groups and for some of the modules they they come together because like we recognize obviously that um, gender inequality is not a woman's issue to solve, that, that we need good allies and that it needs to start early. So it's a, a very successful program that we run in Glasgow. Oh yeah, that was amazing. And to follow up on that, um, how can women either get involved as volunteers or, or as researchers, but also like how can they access these services that you offer? Yeah, so I think like yeah, a good starting point is like certainly our website because like that's where all the different opportunities that we have tend to be advertised or for women local to Glasgow, like popping into our Glasgow center to have a chat about like what's available, what's coming up, you know, and, and being able to like explore different options if that's easier for people. You can also like find all of our contact details on our website. And we are like, a, we have a very much like open doors policy. So if you just want to drop us an email and see how you can get involved and tell us a little bit more about yourself and your interests, like we're always happy to like connect people to opportunities. And even if it's not something that we are doing, like, oh, we're such a small sector here in Scotland, like women's rights sector, the feminist sector is quite small. So we know what other organizations are doing. So we might be able to like signpost or like refer people to other opportunities. Um, I would suggest like following our social media, like we advertise all of our opportunities there. So for example, Young Women Lead is currently recruiting. So if you're in Inverclyde, like have a look, but also check where we are going next. And yeah, and if you feel like your local authority should be involved, but have not, like just drop us a, a quick email and we certainly can look at, uh, you know, going into your local authority soon. So yeah, I, I would say like, yeah, we are just, like a really friendly bunch so we are not 
you know, we are not an organization that it's like removed from the people that we are working with. So just drop us a message, DM us on an Instagram or Twitter if you see something that you think it's interesting and you want to be involved in that. Um, and we'll connect you to the right opportunities. I can definitely attest that you are a friendly bunch. Actually, WCA Scotland was one of my first points of contact when I first moved here. Um, it was a good way to get to know, you know, at least one side of the country and have a more practical commitment when you when it comes to gender equality but also it was just a good way to make friends and this was especially good I think through Young Women Lead which is a great leadership program. So this was I would say quite a packed first episode and I love that we talked about a lot of great and different things. Glad we also covered how young women can get involved with the organization so thank you so much for your time Patricia. it was a lovely chat as usual. Uh, thank you for having me on this like very quick tour of everything that, that we are doing. Like we, yeah, we, we do a lot, but as I said, like it, it comes from passion and yeah, if you are listening to this episode and you have an idea for us, like you work for an organization that is looking to do better co-design that wants to work better with young women and that wants to be involved in like leadership opportunities or anything around, you know, equalities, like just as I said drop us an email or if you are hoping to transition to four-day week again like we are very happy uh, to have these chats with people um, and yeah we, we want to continue sort of being able to to expand and you know we are all working towards the same goal of eradicating gender inequality so if you are an ally in this in this struggle like yeah we are here we are here to support we are here to work with you. Yeah, and another great thing uh, that you do is actually, so uh, WC Scotland shares their platforms with Women's Rights Project. So if you have, if you want, you can do a social media takeover and talk about your project or organization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, it's a very much like an ethos behind like all of our social media activity that we're kind of custodians of that platform, but that platform belongs to, to young women and other organizations so if you you know have a project or an activity that you would like to connect with more young women because that's like you know main group that that is following us like we are very happy to like yeah do takeovers with other organizations and we can jump on your social media to tell your followers about what we are doing as an organization and like vice versa you can access access our networks through that like that's yeah, it's really important for us to like have this like very kind of democratic platform that's, you know, that we are there to support, but the platform uh, belongs to, to people uh, who want to work on eradicating gender inequality with us. Yeah, that's great. Thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. If you want to help YWCA Scotland continue to deliver their programs, you can do so by donating today and supporting the empowerment of women and girls across Scotland. Or you can visit our Etsy shop where you can buy original artworks or donation vouchers. Or finally, if you use Amazon, you can donate to us at no extra cost by selecting YWCA Scotland as your charity of choice on Amazon Smile. I'll make sure to add all this information in the podcast description. But that's all from me now and make sure to join us for episode two. Bye!